Hi everyone, welcome to Illumination. My name is Adora Mbelu and I'm extremely passionate about helping people live a purposeful life. On this show, I'm going to be talking with so many amazing people whose journeys I hope will inspire you, will motivate you, and will empower you to do so many amazing things in this world because I believe that you were made for greatness. And so I want you to listen to all of this stuff and I want you to remind yourself that you are light. Today's guest is Adenike Oyetunde, a non-practicing lawyer who delved into the world of media where she had the only legal show on air discussing topical issues and giving free legal counsel. Her passion for conversations around the plight of disability in Nigeria led her to establish the Amputees United Initiative, a social group specifically for amputees. Through this foundation, she has become a goalkeeper via the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation using advocacy to push for and encourage the inclusion of persons living with disability in Nigeria. She has spoken at various events across Nigeria, including TEDx, and has been nominated for several media awards. She's also the author of Adenike, a self-titled memoir. On this episode, Adenike talks about the importance of owning your story, sharing your story and building the capacity to do more. Adenike, it is great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And you always look so beautiful. Don't What's lie. the secret? Don't lie. Tell tell everyone the secret. You always look beautiful. I'm serious. <laughs> Spending a lot of money to buy things that for my face. But yeah, I think another thing is I've intentionally just decided to insulate myself. So most times when I'm under stress, I break out, acne and all of mm. it. But lately... I'm minding my business more, so yeah. Man, you know, listening, reading your bio, right, and and having other people listen to the bio, I'm just like, you know, it's beautiful to just see the progression, right? Mm. Like the progression. I feel like I've stalled. I don't think so. You know, I think that, you know, you're doing so much amazing work. And the thing is, sometimes we feel like we've stalled, but in reality, the impact that we're making is is really amazing. Yeah. yeah i know you don't lie so <laughs> yeah. no seriously i'm telling you i'm telling the truth and i'm sure that everyone else feels that way this is imposter syndrome talking <laughs> yeah. um, but i want to talk about your journey for those of for the people who don't know okay. about your journey um i want to talk about the fact that at 20 you know you discovered that you had uh, cancer yes ma'am um you lost a limb as a result of that um and you went on to become a lawyer even though you're not practicing you went on to become a lawyer you uh, were on radio right as a media personality <laughs> <laughs> and you know you even engage in just like activism you know with uh, the amputees united which we'll talk about on the show um i just want you to tell me about that story, like that moment where you found out mm. um, about the cancer and that journey. You know, um, as often as I talk about it, I realize that every single opportunity, it brings a different perspective to the story. And listening to you now, what has resonated with me is the fact that um, my parents are fab and all of that, but I feel like there was, with my upbringing, there was a denial of some sort. And what do I mean by that? Or lack of exposure. That's a better description. Such that when I was told I had cancer, very honestly, I may have heard about it maybe once or twice. Mm. But I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know anyone who had survived it, anyone who had beat cancer, 
anyone who was living with a special need or disability as the case may be yeah and the reality is there were people in our environment who were in these places mm. but somehow i didn't know them and i'm sure that my parents didn't know any better so that reality hit me first as to oh then this can be true because it was not um, it wasn't a common story. Right. So I just felt like it didn't have to be me. Why did it have to be me? And I'd always say that, you know, at a point I actually thought to myself, oh, if I'm the only child and I have friends that have eight kids, if I'm mm. home to eight children, why didn't it happen to one of them? Why did it have to happen to me? Right. And in those moments, you know, I really wish that I had heard about cancer. I feel very strongly that if I had heard about cancer, my denial would not have taken as long as it did take because um, owing from the domestic fall in the house and then it started out in my knee. And because of the um, acceptance, denial, trying to get a second and a third opinion, it took so much time that it extended high up. That's why I have a high above, really high above knee amputation mm. of some sort. And when I would um, where my prosthesis or when I will go to get a new prosthesis. I'm in that space where I'm trying to also go to get another one, but mentally I'm not ready. Right. Um, I would always question, what if I had a longer residual limb? Would walking have been easier? Mm. And the only reason why I don't have a longer residual limb is because we had denied that reality mm. because we were not, it wasn't a familiar terrain. And I'm not saying that diseases or the diagnosis would have been a familiar terrain, even in a family where they have probably lost a loved one, but it would have been more familiar in the terms of the existence mm. of the ailment. And, you know, I feel like that took me on a journey and I had to be strong for my parents. I had to be, they had to be see me strong. You know, I, I'm not sure if it was a responsibility I unilaterally put on myself mm. or it was just a circumstantial, you know, issue. Right. But I just felt like I had to be strong. They had to see me. Yay. You know, and in that instance, I will never cry in front of them. I will never break down, especially after the amputation. Prior, you know, pre-amputation, oh, I was living in constant pain. In 24 hours, I probably was pain-free like two hours. Mm. And in two hours, I'll just quickly catch a nap of some sort. So I'll wake up again and, you know, the circle, I'll become so accustomed to pain such that when um, I had gone back to the hospital post-amputation, hospitals would scare me, you know, I would run away once I just see a syringe. I'm like, hey, you guys, you know. Because you had associated them with that. But fear. what it also did do for me was now I tried to discourage um, self medication. So if you tell me you have a headache, for instance, and we see that it's persistent, I'm the one person who says, you have to go to the hospital, you have to go to the hospital. Because I feel very strongly that if we had caught it earlier, mm. just maybe. I, you know, and then when I met someone in Nigeria who has was caught earlier, they flew out of the country, they had the funding to fly out of the country, right. and then they took out the bone, they did one thing on the bone, and she has both her legs. You know, um, I always question, back then I would always question, what if we had the money? But even with the money, unfortunately, we were not um, blessed with the exposure. We were not blessed with the exposure. Even the people around us couldn't even um, avail us of that 
exposure of possibilities of okay what if this is this and we had been sold the idea that it was so late that there was nothing we could do but i remember very well my knee was still its regular size as my left leg and at the end of that journey my knee had grown my leg had grown as big as a basketball almost twice the size because that's what cancer is it means that your cells are abnormally growing and there is no end Mm. so it just keeps growing and growing and growing and before you know it starts to eat itself and all of that stuff so um that journey has made me better understand what intentional parenting is when it comes to making your children understand the different realities that exist outside of the four walls of your home outside of the four walls of their school outside of the four walls of their whatever religious um, affiliations that you have or the you know places that they go for leisure and that actually does help and i see it every now and then when i see children who are exposed you know you can tell not, the difference right? they are not they, they are intrigued because mm. seeing one person with one leg is an anomaly but their questioning differs mm. and their curiosity does differ from a child who has never seen or heard or doesn't know what a crutches is and right. you know sometimes it's tiring like you just be looking at parents that do your job you know don't it's not my job to educate your child that right. there are people different from them you know so um Maybe it's as a result of my now being on this disability journey. You know, I love that you talked about intentional parenting because I think that, you know, that's something that's very important. Um, and, and it's something that we don't necessarily um, practice in the environment that we live mm-hmm. in currently. Um, you know, in Africa. All right, Mini, we are going to Canada. Yeah. We are going to Canada. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's like, and I think there's also that fear, you know, of, um, of even over educating your children um and just the worry of what that over education mm. will do especially because sometimes there's that mental limitation that you know it's western education mm. and you know westernized thinking is wrong and, and all of that versus it's knowledge yeah. and we should the all have the access day. to that knowledge you know um i also think that you know while you're talking about this i'm thinking about the fact that you know there are many people who um have gone through similar situations mm. as you have and have made decisions you know to just sort of not be in the limelight or not be out there so a lot of times they will, they will choose careers that sort of keep them behind the scenes because of that fear mm. of um how people see yeah. them and they don't want to be visual and it's like every time that i've seen you i mean obviously you went it you became an on-air personality mm-hmm. you were on radio that automatically just ma- gave you a lot of influence and you know gave you that um that popularity and you were out there and i feel like every time i've seen you it's like you're beautiful like you know like you like like you've got that you know you've got that yeah, energy that vibe that you're continuously like you know trying to to also just you know let people understand yeah. that excuse me yeah. yes i may not have a limb but that I'm not any different from you, you know. So, so I feel like you know when you've when you've interacted with people who have gone through similar, yeah. right? Um, what would you say has been um, the biggest fears that you've heard from them, and oh. then and then how have you been able to overcome? I mean, how did you decide I'm going to wow. be a media personality regardless? I didn't have a job, right? Okay. Yeah, so the funny thing is, I knew I wasn't going to practice. Mm. And it started during my externship. And what happened was I noted the slow progress 
of right. the judicial cases. A case in point is um, the popular Francis Atuche case. Before I went on externship, it had been in court. We had heard about it because, of course, we were law students. So right. there are certain cases that everybody had to know. And back then it was about money laundering and it, um, the amount was so humongous mm. and all of that. So I got into the federal high court where you know I, I was attached and the case just never went beyond mention. And you see all oh, the senior advocates of Nigeria gather, everybody. And, you know, I remember that during our um, private interactions with the church, um, he, you know, Justice Okeke, I remember so well. He said something. He said there's actually nothing he can do mm. because all that can be done is, you know, you come to the court. My job is to adjudicate on whatever it is that you placed before me. Right. And that's something they taught us in school that um, the court is not a Father Christmas. So, the judge might know the story and say, ah, this lawyer is missing up. But because the lawyer has failed to present right. he whatever. he has to do what, his job. So <laughs> I, exactly. So from that experience, I knew that this practice is turning on you and turning on you. But then I realized that um, a seed had been sown on the inside. My father retired as the manager news and current affairs of Federal Radio Corporation of Nigeria. So I literally grew up on the compounds of FRCN and then when he was um, transferred to the Ministry of Education and then back to FRCN. So I grew up on the compounds where there were quite a number of studios. Mm -hmm. News studios, um, the likes of Sunny Rabor, so I was endeared to it. Right. Okay. I loved how they used to sound. I, you know, I was like, yeah. But all that used to excite me was a child. I'll just run around. All of us, they bring their kids on Saturdays. We'll run around. And then one day, they used to have um, a studio drama. One person was missing. And then they called me to so come and, you know. Show your face. Be there. Just come and <laughs> drop your voice and shout. Right. Yeah. So I did it. I just rubbish show. Just you know, all those um, crowds scene where a lot of people so it wasn't like they gave me a specific role that hey you know you're playing a character it was just everybody come together right. so after i was done i ran to my dad's office i remember very well and my father was like oh why are you excited you know and i told him ah i just went to radio you know and he was watching i'm sure the dude was looking at look younger days not a they didn't give you a big role but i feel like something had been dropped on the inside mm. and i was like the seed was planted I, I was so sure it wasn't the practice of law, but I didn't know what it was mm. going to be. A friend of mine used to work on radio, and then um, it was Blackberry back then. It was popular. Yeah. So it was his um, status. Oh, would you like to hang out? How many people would like to hang out with me on my first show on radio? And, you know, I, I said to him, I said, yeah, sure. So we show up there, and lo and behold, I knew like some other six other persons. So right. we're sitting down in the lobby. And this particular radio station had three radio stations, um, but one particular one I used to listen to because of the news. So every now and then I'll listen and my father would pass. He would just say, ah, that's my colleague. We used to work at so-and-so place. I also loved listening to the radio, by the way. In secondary school, yeah, my mother bought so many radios. The prefects would always see. I loved the radio. Radio was my life, right. literally. So he now passed, same man passed the lobby, but was gracious and cautious enough to not just pass us. He just say, hi, everyone. And just, so he got to me and was asking everyone, you know, hi, my name is so-and-so, what's your name? And I got to him and I said, my full name. And then he held my hand and he said, why do I know that last name? So I smiled. And then he goes, why are you smiling? I said, because my father knows you and you used to work together. And then I said, my father's first. He said, yes, that way is your dad. And then he goes, what do you do? I said, I do nothing. 
He said, what do you mean you do nothing? I said, I don't know what I want to do. Mm. And he said, okay, that would you like to hang out here to see how things run? I just said, absolutely. I said, okay. So they agreed, took me to the head of station and then they decided to give me a um, two day in a week slot to just come around, learn, you know, kind of like an internship yeah. of some sort. But I realized that every week I'll come back, I would barely remember the things I had learned because a lot of it was practical. So I went back to the head of station to say, Sam, it looks like I'm enjoying this thing. Can I add an extra day? He said, oh, sure. But we're not paying you. I'm like, oh, it's fine. I don't want to get paid. So it increased to three days. So one day, the honor personality on duty fails to show up mm. without any word. Mm. But I had been on that belt consistently. So I kind of vaguely had an idea what used to happen. And the head of programming just walks into the studio and said, you have to go on air. Mm. I said, go on air to for... I don't understand. Yeah, he said, I don't know what you're going to do, but you, you, you know, you've been hanging around her for so long. You should be able to. I'm like, so I don't know. Yeah, I didn't prep. So I went on air. And, mm. you know, in a few minutes, the honor personality did show up and all of that. And that was it. I didn't get any well done. It was, it was a flop, a huge flop. I was jittery. I was just yawning. But then um, I continued my internship. So one day, I produced the news for the newscaster, and I had no idea they were looking to employ someone. So on the day I was um, off, I get a call saying that, oh, I had a job interview with the MD. I'm like, job interview? I didn't apply for a job. What are these people saying? And then I show up at the job, and then they ask me very interesting questions, and voila, they say, oh, you get the job. So um, I didn't, it wasn't, it was a happen chance. I didn't, I didn't think I was going to be on radio. It's so powerful. And I had no idea how much um, popularity. Popularity and impact. It had. And then now mixing it with me owning it, because it took a while. I I got the job wearing my prosthetic limb. Yeah. But they all just knew I had a bump on my side and then I had a limb. But they didn't know what's up with my leg. Mm. And I didn't think to disclose to them. Honestly, because it did not impede my effectiveness or efficiency at any level mm-hmm. and the point where one day i woke up and i just got tired you're like you guys you know what i'm not wearing this leg to work people were stunned mm-hmm. and in my own opinion what i was trying to do was i actually was mentally breaking free because what i realized was i couldn't step out of my house without my prosthesis yeah it's just aesthetic it's like a wig it's just to add beauty it wasn't the definition of who i was mm-hmm. But there I was, I could barely do nothing without it. I, in my house, once I get home, I'm strapping, I'm taking it off. The moment a guest is walking in or so on, people, hold on, hold on. And I'm like, do we really think these people don't know I have one leg? Right. So you didn't, you didn't tie it to your identity. I did not. So closely. So it was yet another journey for me to... This, you know, disassociate myself mm. from my prosthetic limb. And it was even a harder reality for a lot of people who felt that it was easier for me to work with processes than with crutches. Mm. But what it did with the radio job as in terms of the impact was I then owned the story. And what I realized that it have, you know, helps people was that it actually did spur a lot of people. 
And I didn't go out to doing it. I didn't. I don't wake up in the morning thinking I'm changing the world. I am just in my little corner of the world, just doing me. And I want to talk about that before we go into the second part of this question, because um, I'm listening to your story and I'm just, you know, hearing how you talk about it being like happenstance mm. technically you know it's like it just happened you know and i feel like a lot of times in life people are usually just focused on like I, you know everything needs to be planned and mm. it needs to be planned and the reality that i've come to find is that you know life is really a series of all these small things that lead to this big, big. thing right and yeah. i've seen this with your journey is is you've shown up because you're talking about the radio station. if you didn't show up yeah when you saw the blackberry status yeah you would you know that opportunity exactly. wouldn't have come like every single part of your journey is you saying that you know what like i'm gonna be here i don't know what it's gonna bring i don't know you know where this is going to lead but i'm gonna show up and i remember when i um when there was a conference that i, I was attending yeah. and i remember you saying you know i'm so glad i showed up to that conference mm. because it was like a turning point in my life so again it's been a recurring thing on your journey where you just you're like they called me for this meeting i'm going let's go <laughs> like, like i don't even know what this is about <laughs> per se but let's just if you go. feel it in yeah. your spirit yeah. that you're meant to go you go exactly so that's where you i know? am and i realize I, I just recently realized that that is where i've always been mm. but it did not stand out to me until i got to a place where i understood that i was owning my presence mm where I am present in every moment of my life. The second question you asked about um, what most people um, feel, fear. fear when I meet them, people living with special needs or cancer, whatever, disability, inability, the semantics, every day there's right. a different description. Um, the biggest fear is acceptance. And I'm, I'm using, I'm answering this with the last person I met. Mm. And the young man wasn't even concerned about his life. He was more concerned about what would people say? You know, what would my friends say? Mm. Um, how would my friends re re react? And I remember asking him, have your friends come to see you at the hospital? Right. And he said, yes. I said, so what did they say? He said, nothing. They were just praying and encouraging me. I said, so what are you worried about? Mm. But I've also understood that it's a face. And, you know, I will meet people and explain to them that, look, just trusting this process. I can bring people like you and myself who can just share our experiences. So you shorten your healing process right. and your journey. Just pop, 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 pop. It doesn't have to take you this long. But what I realize with humans is that once your mind is made up, there is nothing anyone can tell you. And I'll give you an instance. Because it was cancer and we're in this part of the world where anything that doesn't have a cause has some mysticism to it. Mm. Um, I meet people virtually or physically and they say, oh, my cousin has just been diagnosed with cancer. I want you to speak to my cousin. And I speak to the cousin and I hear that the cousin is very, I don't know, the doctor said this, so what do you want? So, you know, someone came and said that if they take me to so-and-so place, there's one juju man who can help me. So one of their biggest fears is usually societal acceptance. Yeah. Societal for people, the young man, for instance, in a relationship, and I it was a he looked at me like, What does this one say? I told him point blank, Are you in a relationship? He said, Yes. I said, Has a girlfriend come to see you? He said, Yes. I said, What is she? So she's only crying, crying, crying. I looked, I said, Look, let her make the choice to be here mm. in this relationship with you. Do not compel her. He looked at me like, 
I told him, I said, if you compel her to be in this relationship with you, I said, it's a different reality for her. Yeah. Now and you're amputated. Resentment, there is, yeah. This is, it's, you're amputated. Nobody's mm. taking it away from you. So if she's not here by choice, the days that you upset her, she would just want to say, after all, you have one hand. Mm. You cannot do this. You cannot do that. And in those moments, you will not remember how you subtly compelled her to stay in this relationship. So right. I told him, give her space. I said, it's a tough reality. If she comes back to you and tells you she doesn't want to, do not begrudge her. I said, let me tell you why. I said, because you probably do the same thing if it happened to her. You can be friends if you know how to handle the friendship. I said, but do not compel her. You are going to have kids. You are going to, life is starting. You're going to have to start learning how to adapt. And it was his right hand. So you're going to have to now start learning how to mm. write with your left hand. It takes a lot. It's a journey. And you need the support structure that make, made a decision exactly, to be Exactly, to be you. there. So in the moments where you are acting up, person will tell you, mm. call you out and say, yeah, this is not right. Mm. However, because I have chosen to be here with right. you, I am going to be here when you're ready, mm. come back. Then another thing that always, especially with us, is usually the financial independence. Mm. You know, and quite often it's usually, will I get a job? Will anybody employ me? Blah, 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 blah. There are laws on paper, but in practice it's completely different. And because I got a job, I would always say that this is a reality that I personally cannot connect with. Right. But I know people who have been discriminated against because of their form of disability or special needs. Right. And that is a story that is still open-ended. And because we're not sure how it will pan out for each person, I usually just say, I guess time will tell. Right. Then another one they don't like is the prosthetic part. One of my biggest, biggest points of advocacy now is not every amputee needs one, mm. which is not something we're used to hear. Because the moment, on, once your stomach starts to heal, the doctors are already coming up. Ah, so we are going to introduce you to the people that do you artificial. And I think, you know, I've had five. And I've used only two that were made outside of Nigeria. Right. The other three were made here were a huge waste of my money. And why? Because I'm a very high above me amputee, it's harder with prosthetic limbs, especially because it's, um, it's close to my pelvic, I, it must be so perfect not to cause me pain. Right. Because when it causes me pain, I am completely disoriented. Like, it just messes me up. And then after a while, you start to injure, get hurt, and all of that. Because it's not about the aesthetic, it's about the functionality it's function. of it. It's the function. So imagine a family where they have maybe two million naira. They've been able to pull sources together, and you're telling them to get a prosthetic limb, maybe almost a million or a little over a million. In my opinion, it's a waste of money because mm -hmm. I'm like, you know what, you guys, just your two million, you people should go and use it to your life. Do something. If you if you're really interested in getting a prosthetic limb, give yourself a one-year period. Whatever it is that you get from the proceeds, you start to save your earnings from it as a family. Mm. So it's not like you're emptying the entirety of what it is that you have. And a lot of people do not want to listen to it. Mm. They go ahead and get it and then come back to me six months later. Mm. And because I have the goodness of God on my side, I don't usually say I told you, but I'll just right. smile to say, hm, right. we could have avoided this. I really, really wish I had the luxury of like three prosthetic limbs, four prosthetic limbs, one to run, one to enter the water. Right. I don't. And the reality about it is 
every day you see people talk about, oh, there's a new person in Lagos who can do prosthetic limbs. I am scared. I'll be very honest with you. I am scared because I don't want to go through that process, process again. again. Yeah. It is such a mental journey to go get a prosthetic limb. And people don't get Everybody just believes, ah, Shabi, you've gotten your visa. Come on, go. It's, it's not that easy. Yeah. You know, um, how do I deal with it? I feel like my personality is naturally optimistic. So it doesn't cost me so much to find the good in almost every bad. However, something that has made me sink is taking upon myself what does not concern me. Mm. Everybody's problem. Mm. You know, ah, then again, so I was driving in traffic. I saw this guy, and I think you should talk to him. Ah, right. why did you get his number? And then you get overwhelmed with carrying. So now I tell you, you saw a guy in traffic. Really? Oh, wow. Interesting. That's your assignment, you know. It's not mine. Right. It's not mine. He's not my assignment. I didn't see him. I always plied that route. Why have I never seen him every time I'm on that axis? Right. You saw him. There's something that you need to do for him. Yes, I will come on board. You know, just say, hey, this is my friend. Hey, what's the... But he's not my primary assignment. And now that I understand it, I'm able to guard my mental strength. It's still a struggle for me as a person because some days I'm just, eh. you know, so I'm now better able to understand the things, but I suspect that one of it is my disposition to life, yeah. which is one thing that pushed me during my chemo days and all of it. I was certain that cancer wasn't going to kill me. I have no idea where that came from. And the reality about it is I wasn't, I didn't know God to claim, oh, this priest showed me in a mm. vision. No, I knew a little about him but now i understand what his love kind of means yeah so it makes it gives me a better picture of why there are certain things that will not kill me i just lived for the next day mm. i wasn't even looking at the christmas of that year i was just waiting to let me just see the next day let me just see the next day and i strongly you know believe that that's one of the things that has continued to help me. This is my one day at a time movement where, mm. you know what, hey, we survived today. Hallelujah. You know, let's see what tomorrow brings. I mean, thanks so much for sharing that. That was beautiful, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, one of the things that, that I'm hearing in everything that you're sharing is, is also that connection to humanity, mm. right? So obviously as a result of your journey and, you know, what you've been through, it's like, um, you have you have an assignment, right? And and I, and I don't even think that your assignment is just to people who have gone through a similar experience. I agree. But it's pretty much to everyone because you're you're like a bridge, right? So it's like you're right in the middle, and then you're teaching the guys on the on one hand who have been through this experience, and the guys on the other hand who have no knowledge of how to handle or um, interact, integrate, mm. I guess with you know, people who have been through this experience. So it's, it's a whole responsibility. I don't mean to put pressure on you, <laughs> but, it, but it's like, it, it's, you After know, a vivid description right? that you now put, I don't feel, <laughs> I don't okay. Feel, Cause I can see your face. You're like, uh, it's like a lot of pressure, but, um, you know, but you have all of that responsibility and, and obviously, you know, you started amputees United, um, initiative, you know, which you've been doing amazing work with, you know, over the past what two two three years yes. i think since you started it um and it's just been beautiful to see again that connection you know that you've been able to build so beyond even the initiatives that you have and the awareness um responsibility that you have with the platform um people just being able to i guess remember like that i'm human mm. and that other people are human and so i see that 
you know, this, this is also a recurring yes. um, thing on your journey. And then you even do stuff where like on social media, for instance, like I've seen like where you will, you take people's matters <laughs> personally. Even if, you know, again, it's not always about disability oh, yes. or special needs. It's like, this somebody slapped money this boy. <laughs> <laughs> somebody slapped this girl. Like, you're like, I'm going to take this personally. So again, it's, you know, for me, it's that I can see that clear line between I want to solve problems. Mm. And it's interesting because you did it on radio as well, right? So yes. when you're on radio, you were also trying to solve people's problems. You were also trying to, you were giving free legal advice. So it's really a solution it's a mindset. <laughs> it's, a, it's a, how can I, you know, fix, I've identified the situation. I, I'm blessed with, and I'm blessed with knowledge and exposure about this. I'm blessed with some level of access, you know, and how can I, you know, help use all of this stuff that I've gained mm. to solve a problem, you mm. know, and that's like, it's beautiful. But seeing all of this, right? what actually drives you and and mm. and i i don't i'm not even saying this to you know try and get a cliche answer or yes. oh, it's my situation because it really may not be you know yeah. but what what drives you like when you wake up every day like what makes you say you know what i'm doing this regardless of how you fuck wow. up you know it's not easy <laughs> wow. wow i feel like in the past few months reading books have driven me they need to complete a book mm. Um, that has pushed me very honestly. I, I, I'm not propelled by fear. Mm. And I say that on a vocally. I'm not propelled by fear. And why is because I better understand now what um, living in the moments of my life mean. Mm. If you've had a near-death experience, you realize that it takes less than a second for you to transit from life to death. Mm. And sometimes I forget myself, but I try to keep myself grounded to the extent where I understand that because you survived, there is a why. I suddenly just want to start a family. Mm. And I feel like there is, there is a call higher than just my own personal need to re-procreate mm. that, that will propel the the kids or child or whatever it is to continue what it is i'm about to birth and i i you know humanly speaking they'll say it's legacy but you know and i understand that my legacy is not just how much i live in the real but it's what i do every single day and i feel like that is one thing that is where i am in my head recently um my father mm. and what i mean by that is I have moved from a place of fear where I know that every extra day he spends on earth is an addition to enjoying it. And that has helped me better understand what it means to have God's love. How do I mean? So I was born into a Muslim home and both my parents are still practicing Muslims. Mm -hmm. And you know, since I was four or five, I'd been going to church. And I was going to church because church sounded and was to me a familiar terrain. Mm. So I wanted something that I could understand by myself, you know, independent of my father or my mother. Mm. And Christianity was what it was for me. Apart from the fact that they were giving us rice and drink, which was very attractive when I was five, um, the stories were endearing. The stories were beautiful. The stories were told to me 
with such lasting impressions. The stories of humanity were shared with me with a core as being who we are. And that was what just pushed mm. me. So when I see my dad now, I understand that he just turned 75 and, um, you know, my call to bar, we never had pictures. Yeah. So they would always disturb me. Oh, you don't have the call to bar pictures. And, you know, I surprised them with a photo shoot and I'm sure my father cried because the next morning he called me and he, you know, he just started to pray and pray and I just started crying. And he said that when he saw the call to bar picture, he said his exact words were, now I'm fulfilled. And you know, it occurred to me, it's just a picture. It's just an ordinary everyday picture. This guy is not talking about purpose or wheel, right. you know. And it occurred to me that really life is actually in the simple things. Mm. And we are the ones who complicate it. So the need to see him live even more fulfilled through the many things I will, I will continue to do for as long as he's here yeah. for is one thing that I know for a certainty has pushed me in this new season of his life. Why I'm saying all of this is because I didn't want to say, oh God, Holy Spirit, mm. you know, my purpose. I found out that my purpose are intertwined in all of these things I've mentioned. Right. Because, and I've run away from defining purpose as this almighty mystic thing and just try to simplify it so that it's something that I can relate with. Mm -hmm. and which I realized is one of the things that gave me peace. There is always something that the world says that I can't do. Mm. And I'm not proving a point for them. Um, it is me telling myself that possibilities exist. Yeah. When I climbed the Lumor Rock, it's, it was just a regular trip. But people didn't understand that what it meant for me was in my head, I was getting to the very top. Mm. And I took the picture and I, it actually went viral. And I'm like, oh. Okay, this was just it. So there have been certain times in my life that have reiterated to me that though I have tried to run away from the fact that my life will continue to propel a lot of people. I took a picture in my swimsuit and I remember a number of people that said, I have never had the audacity to do it. Mm. And what I realized is the world will continue to define what you should and shouldn't do. You accept what you want to do for you and just do it. And these are the moments that just tell me, you know what, just do it, do it. So next year, one thing that I know I'm going to do is to learn how to cycle. And I was telling my friend, ah, someone has to buy me a bicycle for my birthday. Right. Because I realized that when I get it as a gift, it compels me to honor that person's gift and not just continue to watch this, ah, this thing or what will I do with it? So it is always, there, there are always, always new grounds to break, always new grounds to break, especially with special needs in Lagos, in yeah. Nigeria and across the world. I feel like this entire conversation has been about owning the story <laughs> and telling the story. And then, you know, most times it ends up telling the story, right? But it's telling the story and then it's building even more capacity for a bigger story, yeah. right? Because that's what you're doing now and that's where you're going is, I've owned my story, I'm, I've been telling that story, but now I'm building even bigger capacity mm. for this new story <laughs> that and everyone's gonna get to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to give you pressure, I told you. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, 
it's completely inspired me you know and, and i know i know it's going to inspire everyone who's listening to this um thank you so much for sharing that thank beautiful story you. i feel like we need a part two but we'll probably do that at some point um thanks so much for sharing from your hearts thanks so much for being open um and just you know trusting us on the show thank you for having me <laughs> all right so before you leave though like where can people find you online my house oh or like <laughs> oh and we're gonna put it on the screen oh. so everything that you said yeah oh. yeah 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 thank yeah. you so thank much <laughs> what's up lumination tribe subscribe to this channel for more insightful and impactful learning check out our website luminaworld.com for show episodes resources and events Let's continue this journey of growth.